everything takes time and takes patience. There's very seldom overnight deals that happen in, in real estate, at least on a regular basis. Everything, in my experience, needs to be tailored towards the long term. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, I get to interview one of my good friends again. I've had him on the show a couple of times. We met on the show. So I call Elliot my friend because we met on the show and we get to chat online and keep up with each other. But this is Elliot Hoyt. Out of, you're out in Idaho, right? Boise, Idaho, yeah, by, uh, by way of England. Boise, Idaho, by way of England. Yes, he doesn't sound like other people from Idaho. Uh, from the, um, and yeah, you, can, he moved, you moved here out here to play football. Right. I did, yeah. Yeah, I played football at Boise State back in 2012 was when I moved and decided America was cool enough to stick around, so here I am. <laughs> yeah, you played football on the blue field, right? Is that Boise? Is that the... Yeah, it's the Gorpin blue field. Everyone has a problem with it, but you get used to it after a while, so it never really bothered me. <laughs> yeah, you get used to it. It's that home field advantage. What a, what a unique... I, I remember when... Uh, I have a couple different sports teams. Most My favorite, the Ducks getting... Yeah, you know, Anytime somebody gets beat up on that field, they blame the field. Oh yeah, that's the excuse. That, that back back when we played you guys in 2010, it wasn't when I was in the team. They they printed these t-shirts that said the myth is true, ducks do crash on the blue. Yeah. Because there was this myth that went around where guys where ducks would fly into the blue and die because they thought it was a pond. So yeah. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what happened. And they blame the blue. You can't blame the football, you can't blame the play calling. That's the the blue field makes everything more difficult. So the We've had you on the show a couple times, right? We've had you on when we first interviewed you when you hit 30 under 30. And we got to talk a lot about, you know, how your business grew. And really you had been, you shared the story about listening to the podcast before you were even licensed, yeah. right? To come on. And when I got to call you about getting you on for the 30 under 30, it was an awesome moment for both of us. Pretty special. And then we had you back on, I think right after COVID, we were doing a how to get your offer accepted kind of mastermind with a bunch of us. And then I had reached out to you a few months ago and said, hey, let's, let's, let's have you on again. Let's talk about news. Let's talk about what's been going on. But let's do a, like kind of an overview of the last couple of years, right? So the, since you first said like early 2020, we have you on the show. What has been the transition in your business since then? And what's the big thing you've learned in the last couple of years? Because the market's been getting tougher and tougher. It's more and more competition. What are some of the things you've learned over the last years and transitions you've been making? Yeah, so I guess to recap, 2019, I was an individual agent um, on my own. Um, did in a market where our average purchase price was in the 400s. I, I did like nine, just over nine million. Second year, added an assistant and kind of created a, a kind of a smaller team. Um, we had, we had 23, 23 million done. Average purchase price was up about 50K. And then this last year, um, it was 32 million with the team. Um, on a $540,000 average purchase price. So since 2020, through the pandemic, um, business has only gotten better for me. So I've gone from a team and now as of about two weeks ago, I have my own brokerage. So the Hoyt Group is no longer just a team. Um, it is my brokerage. Um, and I, I took my team with me from the old brokerage we were at and, and that's kind of been the transition. That's been the big major thing. Obviously the volume goes up and you know, if you're doing your job, the volume goes up naturally, but the biggest thing has now been becoming a brokerage, and that's been the huge transition I've gone through 
the past couple of weeks here and I'm learning every day, um, even more so than I was before. Um, there's a lot more entailed, a lot more entailed for sure. So, Yeah. I mean, real estate agents are always entrepreneurs. Sometimes we learn that after you sign up to be an agent. Like sometimes people are like, wait, a commission only means like you're an entrepreneur, like you are responsible for your own income, you know, and you have to learn and there's different things you can do to get better. And then as a broker, yes, it's, it's a, it's a whole nother step of being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, you know, some of those things you've got the, you've got the new office behind you, the uh, you know, new, new spot in Boise. So you were fairly new as an agent when kind of the pandemic hit and real estate got competitive, where all of a sudden there was nothing on the market and people out there. How did you set yourself apart? Because it's an amazing story to say, hey, it's only gotten better through the pandemic, but the pandemic also ruined some real estate businesses. Like, how did you set yourself apart? How did you continue to grow when you didn't have a giant fan? Some, some of the people I've interviewed, people are like, hey, they were giant when that hit. And so like the rich get richer, right? The people that were great got greater, but the, you were doing good, but you were still new at real estate. What sets you apart? I think it's the mindset. Um, obviously, there's, there's outgoing things as far as what you do with clients, which is, you know, that has to be different. But when you look at it internally and the things you can truly control, it's the mindset. I always had the mindset, even when I, you know, haven't been as good or as experienced, you have to go in with it thinking that you are the best of the best because you need that mindset to, to convince your client <laughs> that you're the, the, the viable choice for them, whether they're buying or selling. Um, not allowing the conditions to be an excuse or dictate the reasons why you can't do something is important too. Um, for me, especially as an athlete, I, I saw this market challenge. Like I enjoy it. I love, cause the more offers we go up against the better to an extent sometimes, because it kind of gives you that sense of, okay, it's time to go to work. A lot of people, a lot of agents can be deterred by um, competitive situations. And for me, it, it's just a mentality of going in and not having to worry. I think that that mindset of worrying holds people back from making so many decisions in life in general. But as an agent, you can't allow the unknowns to, to kind of worry you. You have to have that confidence um, and, and, and just know that, hey, you, you can only do your best, right? You can, only, you can only set the expectation for your client as much as you can. You can only put in an offer as strong as they're able to do. So it really, it's just, it's mindset, Aaron. It really is mindset. You can't let it you know, overpower you. Yeah. Do you think that was from football? 100% from football, yeah. That's, that's been, I think I said it before the last couple of times I was on. Um, I, I'm definitely a dumb jock at heart, but I think part of being a dumb jock is it makes you very resilient because we would spend hours a day and, and hours, uh, you know, a, a week preparing to play a game. And there's no guarantee that when you play a football game, you're going to win, but you still prepare regardless anyway. And that's the same approach I take when I'm, I'm helping clients, especially with buyers and putting in offers. There's no guarantee that this offer we're going to be, we're going to submit is going to win, but we're going to do our dang best to make sure it's as strong as possible so we can. And that's that's the mentality I take into every single uh, situation there. So, yeah, I think anytime we can create competition in our lives, it does. I mean, two things happen. Sometimes people quit. Sometimes they don't like to lose. They don't want to play the game. And other times they step up to go. I'm going to a competition. I want to be the best I can be. I want to win. Like people want to win. And if you have the, the attitude that you want to win, you work harder, you prepare harder, and then you start to expect to win. And um, I think that is one of the secrets to like the snowball effect to where like, you know, confidence spreads the, um, you know, when stuff got rough, when COVID first hit, we talked about like, you know, um, when people get stressed out, like bad news spreads fast 
right? But so does encouragement and so does confidence. So when they're seeing the news, everything's going bad, like that can spread or confidence can spread too. So it's pushing as a leader with that confidence. So now you're, now you, you've got your brokerage, you've got your team, you've got your people that like, like look up to you. How do you, and there's probably even some listeners out there that are like, that's great. Okay. I, I want to be competitive, but how do, how do you, do you give them pep talks? How do you, or do you tell them the same thing? Like, how do you make them know that they're ready to be competitive too? Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. I mean, there's, I'm, I, I pretty much share all my knowledge with anyone that is willing to ask or listen, whether they're inside my building or not, because at the end of the day, you could have the knowledge, but the actual ability or willingness to implement it is different person to person. I could give someone the keys to the, to the, to the kind of the, 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 the so what I guess like the, the car to drive it, but not everyone's going to drive it. So when I, when I meet with my guys, yeah, hundred percent, you know, we, we definitely talk about the same things that I just mentioned. I, I think that, I think that it, it can be hard sometimes for people to understand things the same way that I do. And a lot of that comes to the way that I communicate it to people and to my, to my guys at least, because um, everyone has a different kind of mindset, as how they approach things. But with that being said, if you have a different mindset, you have different things that you're better at, you have to just tailor the way that you work with your clients to those strengths. Um, you have to always be improving, but let's take a look. You know, I talk to my guys, let's take a look at what you're good at. What are you, what are you good at? We do need to improve the things that maybe you're not so strong at, but let's figure out a way to make the things you're good at a weapon that's going to help your client in those situations. So it's kind of tailoring it. I can't give them a blanket, you know, kind of speech. This is the way to get it done. It's really, let's look at what your skill set is and see how we can figure out how that's going to work in this market. So yeah, that's, that's the way I deal with it. How to get the, the most out of it. So the, how are you getting most of your leads right now? Are you do mostly listings, mostly buy side? How do you generate growth? I'm glad that you brought it up. So I, I spent a long six weeks really digging deep into where we are at and where we need to get to. Um, you, you have to obviously know where you're at to know where you want to get to, right? And I, I looked at all the numbers. I mean, I'm talking really in depth here. I was looking, I was talking to the guys. Okay, where did you get this lead from? How did this convert? Yada, yada, yada. Kept everything, you know, in this kind of spreadsheet. And I came to learn that basically 96% of the business we've created is organic. And by that, I mean not paid. So referrals, repeat clients, um, any organic way, um, which is great. I mean, if we can do we did, you know, 60 transaction size last year um, as a team off of organic um, growth, that's great. But to get to the next level, we really need to start looking at the paid stuff. So I am hiring a marketing director um, you know, this week after conducting several interviews to help us look at where we're at and where we want to get to. And their job is going to be, okay, this, these are the actual steps in the plan to get from where you are to where you want to get to. Um, so we're going to start spending a lot more money on paid advertising, but strategic paid advertising. We're not just going to be throwing money at you know, the, the latest, greatest, shiny thing. We're going to look at like an omni-channel system, looking at social media, looking at mailers, um, and you know, being as diverse as we can and being very, very precise with where we market to. So that's, that's how we're going to take it from where we are right now to where we want to get to. Yeah. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui for a quick commercial break. So during 2020 and 2021, the real estate market completely changed. There's so much competition in the market, so many people trying to buy and sell houses, but there's hardly any supply, hardly any product, hardly anyone willing to list their homes. It's time for every agent out there to become a hybrid agent investor to be able to reach out directly to homeowners to try to get them to sell or list their house. We've got a new website. Go to leadpropeller.com 
and you can set up your own investor buyer website in just minutes. You'll set up your own URL, set up phone numbers, help go through the leads, help reach out to people that aren't listing their pro their property currently and have them fill out a form that says, hey, I want to sell my house. And then as an agent, you can go through and make them a hybrid offer. You can tell them, hey, I think your house would sell for $220,000 on MLS, but I can either write you a $180,000 cash offer right now, or I can help you fix it up and you'll list it for $220,000 on MLS. These are buyers that are looking for quick cash offers. Tens of thousands are submitting these forms every single day and they're skipping the listing process. But so many of you guys out there are such good agents, it's a great opportunity to get that lead and help them maximize sales price for their home. So again, go to leadpropeller.com and think about signing up for your own investor site so buyers will start reaching out to you, asking you to make an offer on their home. I, and maybe it's, maybe you're gonna have these answers in like a week or two instead. But what is so when you go out to market your team, what do you tell people they're getting instead? Like what who, what is the Elliott Hoyt team? Like what's what's your big brand challenge difference? The the difference that I that I say is almost cliche. It's 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 giving an experience of excellence. It's doing more. Uh, the standard, unfortunately, at least in our market, isn't really as high as I think it probably should be as far as. Uh, agent services to clients. Um, the idea is that we're doing more, which in turn, for a listing, for example, is going to get them more exposure, which means they're making more money. And then you know, for a buyer on the other side, um, they don't need to worry as much. They know that they're having everything handled because you have a team of people that are, are doing the extra stuff. We are communicating with title. We're doing things that we know are going to make your life easier. I think some of the roadblocks, whether you're an experienced buyer or seller or not, um, doesn't always make a huge difference. People worry about, well, this is a stressful situation. I have to worry about this. I have to worry about that. The idea is we're taking the worry off of the off of the table for them through experience and through having multiple people that are involved in kind of the stewardship of your transaction from beginning to end. Um, there's definitely strength in numbers in that regard. So we do talk about the strength of the team um, and just doing more and working harder. I mean, without going into exact specifics, I could be here for hours if we talked about every single step. Um, it's really about having a much more robust plan and having contingencies within those plans for listings, for example, or for buyers. This is how we're going to do it. And then the other one that I talk about is, you know, is setting expectations. We do a much better job than the average, you know, team or agent of setting the expectations. When you set expectations for clients and they know that they're going to have expectations set, they kind of know how to act within a transaction. Um, I think a lot of the time that can be lost. So we always talk about, okay, we're going to help you set realistic expectations so you don't feel let down. Because I think a lot of people you know, are let down during a transaction um, because they don't have those expectations set. So that's kind of what we talk about with our clients. Yeah. So the so what made you want to just open your own brokerage? I think personal development was was the number one reason. Um, I definitely, although the numbers were rising, um, you know, month to month and year to year for the most part, I definitely felt like I needed to challenge myself even more. Um, I think that when you get kind of stuck in a rut where you kind of do the same thing repetitively, which real estate can be. Although every client's different, um, by and large, the DNA of a transaction is the same. I really needed to have a different challenge um, that would kind of push me um, to get to kind of where I wanted to get to. And also, it comes down to value as well. Um, I felt that in this point in my career where you know I already have, when things are running full capacity, having two full-time employees, there's only so much that I believe a brokerage can do for you 
um, that you maybe can't do for yourself once you get to a certain level of experience. I wanted to have a little bit more control over how my money was being spent that I was paying into the brokerage. And the only way you can do that is you know, when you're owning a brokerage, you can call the shots. You can't call the shots of someone else's brokerage. Um, so it was you know, personal development and then having a little bit more freedom is to, okay, this is where I'm going to spend my money. Um, there's only so much money you can spend and if it's going towards brokerage splits and you don't get to really dictate how that comes back to your business, um, there's only one way you can do it. And I, I thought that is to kind of blaze your own path, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I was recently talking to somebody that put he put up a billboard and everybody on the team was on it. And one of the and one of the team members w- was unhappy with the billboard, right? Was wanted a different picture, wanted it a different way. And we're like, why didn't you why didn't you ask? And I think the question was, well, do you want me to take you off the billboard? It was like, no, I want to be on there, but I would have liked some different great. There's so many different points of like brokerage money that gets spent for marketing. The um the way you get your biggest vote is it's your is is you start the brokerage, you take the risk. You take the risk of that expense all the way through, and then you get to put your money where your mouth is, right? As yeah. you start to start up this new business and see what you can what you can make happen. Hundred percent, and it's a little bit different for us too. So the the way that I'm running my brokerage isn't really in the traditional brokerage model where you have a designated broker or an owner, and you kind of bring in as many good agents as you can, try and develop them as much as you can, and then obviously you're you're making profit off of, off of what agents sell. I'm still in, I wouldn't even consider it the peak of my career as far as sales goes. I've brought guys in, you know, that are on my team and we're operating like a team and they're really supportive. I'm helping them definitely grow some of the stuff they're doing, but they're really supporting the initiatives I already put in place. So I continue to grow my business. I've not, I've had a lot of people reach out to me in my market that have been interested in, in, in joining the brokerage. And, and I've told them no, because I really feel like I can't give them the value that they were probably looking for, which is tough because from a business perspective, oh, okay, well, you know, just the, the, the numbers, you can make money off of this. To me, it has to be more about than just making the money. If I can't bring these people value, it doesn't make sense. I'm in a, in a phase where I'm still growing my business and that's where I want to put my attention for right now. Yeah. What do you think the market's going to do this year? <laughs> that's the, the billion trillion dollar question. Um, in, in Boise, at least, I can't really talk globally, I guess, or even or nationally more specifically. In Boise, the Boise market, the Treasure Valley market here between Ada and Canyon County, things have already started to heat up the last probably couple of weeks. Um, there was this, there was this seasonality again that we hadn't seen for the last two years. Normally, in, in our market, um, you'd see seasonality. Um, you have the spring and the summer that tend to be more active. The kind of winter months are a little bit, you know, but maybe it's weather. I don't know. Are, are, aren't as active. Um, and this was the first time since I think about 2018 or 19 where things were more seasonal and everyone was worrying, well, in 2020, we saw this craziness and every single month went by, whether it's December or June was the same, multiple offers, things were nuts. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, I think around about October time, things kind of took a turn and we were seeing homes sit on the market for longer. We we're seeing, it sounds crazy, I guess, to some markets, but we were seeing in Boise like 30 plus days on market when we we're used to seeing two or three. Uh, you could put home up uh, on a Thursday or Friday and it was gone by Sunday evening. All yeah. of a sudden, we're seeing you know 30 plus days on market and people were worrying, oh, is the world going to fall apart? Um, and we had you know two or three months there where things were sitting longer. And now all of a sudden, um, I listed a home just uh, last week or the week before last, um, and it was at the, in the 400 price point, which had remained relatively competitive, but we're still seeing things sit on the market. And all of a sudden, I had, I think, had a total of nine offers within two days, um, all well above asking. And I'm hearing anecdotally from other agents that I'm, I'm in touch with and just participating in the market, we're seeing more of the situation. So my prediction for this year, um, I think based on what I'm seeing already, it's going to be much the same as last year in our market, heading from 
you know, this February three to, to kind of towards the end of the year, just based on what I'm seeing. Yeah. I think it's feeling like that in a lot of different places. I know that the financial markets have been uh, challenging for a lot of high net worth individuals over the past few months. I'm curious to see how that plays out in real estate because I've had a few conversations with people that are that are you know not making the uh, the lavish expense that they were going to. Now, in some categories, it's like they're not going to buy the jet they were going to buy. They're not going to buy the second or third or fourth home they were going to buy. And but trying to figure out how that really trickles down to the idea that still most of the so there's been a lot of like kind of fear in the markets of stuff will slow down, but still the you know most of the people buying houses are people trying to buy a house to live in, and there still is a shortage of demand, a shortage of supply, you know, compared to the demand, and it'll be the big bet. And the you know every year we every year in January I try to give myself a 12 month period. What am I going to bet on? What would I, what would I bet on with the, with real estate market? How am I going to, uh, to push forward that way? And the, and I think that, I think it's going to stay strong for buyers and we'll see what the other, what the other push is as we always guess on here and the, and, and people or, you know, everyone guesses them themselves. We all wish we had that crystal ball, but real estate is, I, I think the one thing that I know I can hang my hat on is 20 years from now, houses will be worth more than they are today. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, inflation, uh, if anything else, <laughs> yeah, probably the stock market too. stock market will be worth more 20 years from now. House will be worth 20 years from now. I don't quite know how to, how to bet much further out, but I try to do these, these shorter term things too. personal development stuff. Have you done any travels over the past year to go to like masterminds or training conferences? What are the things that you, that you've done to try to get some extra uh, strategies from people outside your market area? You know what, business-wise, I, I haven't done anything in the last in the last year. Um, I've taken more personal time, um, just from a, a you know a holistic kind of a whole life approach. I know that I need to take more personal time off, but I haven't. And, and I'm looking forward this year. I was actually just talking with one of my agents just before we hopped onto this call here, and uh, we're going to definitely do two this year. We haven't quite figured out what we're going to do. We haven't done anything in the last year. We definitely want to because I think being insular is not a great thing. It's good to kind of get out these other markets. So um, I, I don't know if we've announced it yet or you've announced it, but I know that I'm going somewhere in March coming up here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about that or. Yeah, no, we, we just locked in our dates for the, uh, you know, the, the mastermind for the Austin mastermind. I hope you can make it. So March 2nd and 3rd, we're going to do our mastermind in Austin to try to get a whole bunch of people together like this for us to be able to, essentially there's rock stars all over, right. That are crushing it in real estate. And we want to be able to come share different ideas and get to like, like we've done on the podcast, but being able to get heads together saying what's really working for you over here. And then what's really challenging you because the reality, when you get a room together of a bunch of superstars and you go, this is our biggest challenge we're facing. And somebody else goes, I, I had that challenge last year and this is how we attacked it. And someone else goes, I had that challenge also. And this is how we attacked it. And the amazing stuff that you see come out of that, like the, um, yes, I definitely want our real estate rockstars, Austin mastermind to be your first one. When you, when you came down here for the F1 races mm -hmm. and you didn't like many of Texas's hamburgers, it looked like from uh, oh, no, come on. All, right. all of the Texas hamburgers were overrated, but the, but how did F1 do? F F1 was great. We can go back to the hamburgers, but F1, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to get slaughtered by the South if I start talking about Whataburger. I know that for sure. Um, at least if I talk about it negatively. Uh, F1 was awesome. So uh, being born and raised in England, um, Formula One is you know one of our kind of top sports. And, and that was actually my first Formula One race. They're not cheap to attend. 
Um, and I'm fortunate enough to be in a position now to be able to do that. And it, it was incredible. Austin, though, is no joke. That heat, I didn't know it was possible to get. I mean, I'm I'm of a darker complexion. I didn't know it was possible to burn, but I did slightly. <laughs> it was it was a hundred. It was I think it was like high nineties um, yeah, at was, one point. Yeah, it was brutal weather, and the and it's also that sun gets really hot. And I think most of so much of the, the F1 seating was kind of just being out in the middle of nowhere. A lot of real estate agents came out for that one. You know, my. My next real, after our one in March, my next real estate mastermind is going to have to be right around those F1 races oh, because 100%. there were dozens of superstars like you guys that were all out here. And I was thinking, man, we could have done a reunion at, not at Whataburger. We'll go to one of the other spots. I enjoyed getting to follow along when you were out here because there, every day you would go test out a different place and go, okay, so everybody says this is awesome. And most, and I, and I, in general, most of your answers were like, this was okay. Yeah, this was pretty good, but the, it was, it's really fun as, as people get to come. Was it your first time in Texas? That was my, yeah, that was my first time in Texas, not in an airport. So it was kind of cool. I know Austin's different to, you know, Houston and some of the other places that people hear about. Um, but no, I, I, I loved it. Austin's, uh, it was even bigger than I realized. I had no idea how sprawling Austin um, is. I, everyone talks about how Boise is supposed to be similar to Austin or it's the next Austin. Um, and, and I always thought Boise was pretty, pretty big and sprawling. I go to Austin, I'm like, Austin seems eight times the size of Boise, which gives me encouragement from a real estate perspective because we've got a lot of room to grow. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to come, you know, in March and take a look and, and get to see Austin more because we were, we were doing a Formula One experience, which meant they pick us up early, take us to Coda, Circuit of America's there and drop us off. And then they come and get us late. So I didn't really get to experience Austin a whole lot outside of Whataburger. So I heard the barbecue is good. So yeah. I need to get involved in that. So. We will do some barbecue when you come back out or we'll have lots of fun stuff. Yeah. That was the challenge. I'm, I'm messaging him like, hey, when can we hang out? And it was like coffee before seven over here, because yes, you were so busy as you guys were, were packed in when you're out there. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Abuchastegui and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. And I know, I know you guys would much rather listen to the content and not the ads and not the sponsors, but this is one that I'm actually super, super excited with. You know, so many of the realtors that we interview on the show, they talk about how much systems are important and how much follow-up is important. And I'm really, really excited about our new sponsor. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time. And when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. You know, on an interview last week with Agent Mark McGuire, I asked him what his favorite software and what his favorite system was. And he said it was Follow Up Boss. And then he went on for another three or four minutes to talk about why Follow Up Boss was the best CRM he uses. So there's a lot of superstars out, out there that use Follow Up Boss. Some of the stats they gave me, Robert Slack, 1.5 billion team in Florida, number one in the US. He uses Follow Up Boss to get a 400% ROI on its massive paid lead spend. Deborah Beagle, co-owner of the Ashton Group in Nashville, uses Follow Up Boss to guarantee the agents who join her team get two homes under contract in the first 90 days. That's a big guarantee for new agents. Barry Jenkins of the, your friends in real estate uses Follow Up Boss to automate everything so his team can produce 200 million on 25 hour work weeks. All right, so here's an offer. You guys are gonna get this special for being Real Estate Rockstars listeners. Now I've, I've used Follow Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing, and what do, what do you know, best name ever, Follow Up. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, 
forward slash rockstars. Again, followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out. Especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet, this will be a great one for you to start with. All right, everybody, thanks again. Now back to our show. So some people, so you went from, I mean, you pretty quickly built a team and grew that team. And your team has been like, you guys have really good interactions. It feels like you're, you're really in sync. How did you do that? How did you pick the right team members? You know, if somebody's ready to, to bring people on, was there any strategy in that? What advice would you give to somebody that says, all right, I'm ready to go from being on a team to starting a team, or I'm ready to go from solo to having team members? What was, what was that first step like? What advice would you give? The most important thing is having people that um, share share your values who are good people. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to have the same core beliefs as far as, you know, politics or, or whatever it happens to be. It's about people that, that align with your beliefs and what you want to do in life. Um, and, and for me, that is, you know, treating people right and having fun while doing it, you know, at, at a very surface level. But um, I just have good people around me. And the way I went about it was, obviously, when you interview, when you're looking to bring people onto your team or to your brokerage, you have to look at the, the business side. Um, what skills do they have and how much money can they potentially bring in revenue sales whatever it happens to be but i've always been of the mindset and will continue to be you should never put the money before the quality of the person um money money can do some weird things to people um and it can make people make weird decisions which can affect the dynamics of your team so while obviously everyone comes to work to make money the biggest thing is having good quality people so whenever i have hired and i'm looking to hire um i definitely put a lot of weight in is this a good person do they share the values because when times are tough and you have to work stuff out if you can't communicate and the person isn't really vibing with you it's very easy to kind of fall out of synergy and have issues that you you, you are hard to, to work through um i've had i'll give i mean i'll give you a couple there's a couple of examples or an, an example we've recently been hiring for a marketing director um had over 40 applicants and took a while to get through them had some interviews um and there was there's there's been there was one candidate in particular that, that probably ticked all the skills boxes all the skills boxes but i definitely had questions about their character and they probably could have brought in several million dollars more of production just based on their ability to market and do things. But they had a very questionable character. And I decided to pass up on that because it's not worth compromising in my head money for something that's going well. Um, and when I say going well, there's more things to a business and a team going well than just a production. It definitely is how you interact with your people. So that's the biggest thing I say is the quality of the person is the most important thing. And you have to look for that. And only you know what it looks like, Aaron. It's not like there's a book or a manual for it. We all have different beliefs and we all have different ways of doing things, uh, but they have to definitely jive with the ethos you're trying to push out as a, a team business or brokerage. Yeah. Yeah. Culture, right? That's like, like that company culture and who can hang out. I learned it the hard way a couple of times building up some of my businesses that hiring the wrong people that like really irked other people wrong. Like just, just, just like, you know, just the way they spoke or the way they something just made it tougher for other people to do their job right. Right. And it wasn't really fair to anybody in that process, but people that were productive and efficient before were becoming less productive and less efficient because of the interactions. And it was, it's really hard to go like, wow, I couldn't imagine that if this person looks great on paper and these three people are doing great. And this person who looks great on paper should be able to interact with them. Well, 
but just by the way they carry themselves, the way they talk, and uh, and so much more so now. Whenever we're hiring, the you know the resume is almost like the smallest part of it. It's who could stand hanging around with us, who could stand hearing some of the conversations that we have, and and be okay with that, you know, and be like, this is a fun place to come work. Who can who can work for a guy that's as weird and crazy as me? Like the you know when you when they see my personality and all the other stuff, they got to be okay with the guy with a cryo machine in his house and just like some of the random uh crazy stuff <laughs> i saw that on your instagram the story this morning actually the cryo machine now it makes sense i was trying to figure out where you're at but it's in the house so that's yeah. that's efficiency right there it is efficiency so i um so yeah so that's one of my random things right so getting nitrogen delivered over at the house i've had assistants before that were like what and the and so i gotta find assistants that are okay with doing random stuff like that. i broke my ribs playing volleyball of all things er, early 2020 i want to say so the and I, at that time i was really getting into golf wanting to golf a lot broke my ribs and um and so couldn't golf couldn't do anything while we we're out playing volleyball and nothing was like working to help it and i went to go to a cryotherapy office and went in and did cryotherapy and for the next three hours i didn't feel anything in my ribs and you stand in this container, they fill it with liquid nitrogen, they take it to negative 250, negative 260. And it does these amazing like healing things to your body. And so for that week, I was like going into cryotherapy every day because when I would go, I'd have about three hours of not feeling any pain in my ribs. And broken rib pain is like the craziest, silliest thing because you can't really do anything. There's nothing you can do to heal it or make it faster. And it just like makes you... Get tender. So during that process, I started researching and, and then, you know, 2020 starts to hit stuff gets crazy. I start looking for cryotherapy companies going out of business. And on that search, I was able to find a heck of a deal for a cryotherapy machine. So yeah, my wife and I do it every day. It's, at, it's at almost every day added to our, our health regimen. It, you know, you burn calories. It helps you feel young. It helps you do all this other stuff. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, you got to take care of your body. Being a former athlete, I know that even if you're not an athlete and you're, you're working day to day, you don't exercise, don't take care of that thing, right? It has knock on effects. So that's, 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 de that's dedication. I haven't seen before from a, yeah. from a civilian, so to speak. So that's great. Yeah. Anything we can do to keep our brain healthy, keep our body healthy, it helps us do better business, helps us do more business. Some of the things that people do to scale, I mean, it's a whole different conversation, right? What we can do to like, when, when we have energy and our brain is smart and we're feeling good and we're well-fed, we are going to make better businesses. We, you're going to get another deal. Right. That's like the idea of how much time do you spend, you know, making meals compared to whatever, like what's that time? So there's a lot of ways that kind of life hack and helps build out when you look into next year. And this is so much of stuff like when we get to the mastermind, right? We're going to be asking people, what's your biggest goal for the year and what's your biggest challenge uh, for that? Now, putting you on the spot, you know, in front of hundreds of thousands of people here, do you, have you thought about that stuff? Cause right now you just looked at your stats and you said, wow, 90 something percent of our stuff is organic. Have you thought about this is the one thing I want to do this year to grow or the second thing I want to do this year to grow or something that we've tried before that hasn't worked? Like what, anything come to mind? So I got some quantifiable stuff on the marketing side. I had to pull the document up that I put together. Uh, but one of the one of the big things is being able to create in-house mailers. So it's not a goal as such, I suppose, but it's something. It's a, it's a tool that we want to add strategy, yeah. to the repertory. It's definitely a strategy. Yeah. So I just invent invested in a thirty-two thousand dollar production printer yeah. um, for the for kind of the long haul here, because when you can, it's just economies of scale. It's business, right? When you can produce stuff in-house, you're not outsourcing for the most part. Um, 
things tend to be cheaper and more efficient and efficiency is huge uh, before we were having to send all our mailers out to a third party and the turnaround time was i mean the soonest was four days from them receiving it to getting it out and when you're trying to you know plan stuff out and, and especially with listings having stuff you know that needs to be sent quickly there's definitely something to be said for that efficiency of being able to do it in-house so that's one of the kind of the 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 the, the implementation things that's been a goal for us and that should be up and running in the next couple of weeks here um for us as, as a, a quantifiable goal um i'd like to increase the the paid so if i'm attributing where leads come from where closed deals come from we'd like to increase that by over 20 percent as far as being able to say okay 80 percent of our business comes from organic and 20 percent of it comes from uh paid methods that's what we'd like to do because i know that i think like i said earlier to take it to the next level it's going to take a very targeted effort to increase those sales numbers so that's one of our goals for sure for, for 2022 yeah. so I think those I think those are, are great examples. And the yeah, when you think about like like how to make something good better, like you're doing mailers, but if you can get them four days faster, like what a difference that makes. So many people on the podcast, we've talked about that. And then, you know, paid growth. There is uh I remember my first mastermind with GoBundance, really the, the biggest one I've ever I've ever been a part of. I remember getting in there and the and starting to talk about things like that. At that time, we wanted to do Facebook leads to try to get people to sell us their house as investors. Right. And it was so cool to see several guys raise their hand and go, yeah, we're all doing this. And we've tried it because at that time, like there wasn't there, it was essentially you figure it out yourself. People are trying out themselves. But then when the six or seven of us got to get together and go, these are the ads that I find work. These are the ads that I find work. And it was so, it was so funny. One of the things we figured out is if we misspelled things in like the highlight summary, we had more people click on our ads and on our videos um, or when we're walking through a house and I don't look very good. It's just me on a phone walking in one take and some stuff is misspelled. More people would like click that ad on Facebook to sell us their house than when it was a nice professional video, like in a room talking about it. So getting to experiment with all sorts of fun things like that. I think the, it's definitely going to be one of our topics at the mastermind too, is paid, you know, essentially paid ads, paid leads. Yeah. Yeah. How, how is it? How is it? I, I, yeah. That's definitely something we need to talk about because it's an ever evolving thing, right? It's like, what works one month on Facebook advertising doesn't work in six months time. Same with mailers. We kind of go through these trends. So yeah, I'd love to know more about that and what's been successful for other people in other markets because it's just constantly adapting. There's no, there doesn't seem to be one, one size fits all kind of deal, right? It's always moving. It's always changing. Yeah. And there's so many different types. There's like Zillow lead services. There's real, there's realtor.com lead services. There's opposite. There's all these different places that are doing it too. And I think there's strategies that kind of combine all of it. Like these people hand you the lead, but they take 60% of the, de de the deal. These people are hitting top of funnel and we're going to, you know, capture this many percent of them at the beginning. And we're going to add them to our drip. And over time, like some of these leads you advertise to are going to become a lead in a year because they're on your, you know, whatever campaign stuff. I think those are really fun things to get to, to see goals on the what's um, what's one thing. And maybe the answer is the same as the first couple of times. What's something you wish you knew about real estate when you first started that, you know, now something I wish I knew about real estate. <laughs> I could probably write, a, I could probably write a book. I could probably write a book on the things that I know now that I wish I'd known before. But I think the biggest one is probably the, the the patience i'm trying to think how to word this where it makes sense i think it's it's a, it's a long-term deal right it's a long-term deal for for any agent that does you know mainly kind of resale that's not you know on necessarily the new construction side of stuff which is we do a lot of, of resale 
um, is the patience that this this career needs. And I have to remind myself every day, even though I technically know it, I wish I'd known it in the beginning because I think I spent a lot of time talking myself out of opportunities um, in the beginning because I, I was looking for instant results. I was like, I need to just get a deal done this week or next week or whatever. And a lot of that's a byproduct of you kind of need money because in the beginning it can be tough. But I wish I had known that it, it's about the long term because I probably wouldn't, I would have acted more on things and planted more seeds in the beginning. And I also wouldn't have been so hard to push people to make, uh, to, to make contact with me or talk about real estate in some, some regards because I needed to know, hey, it takes time. You have to kind of earn the right um, to nurture these contacts and these people and these transactions because everything takes time and takes patience. There's very seldom overnight um, deals that happen in, in real estate, at least on a regular basis. Everything, in my experience, needs to be tailored towards the long term. So I wish I'd known that things are long term for the most part and it takes patience. I wish I'd known those things. Yeah. It's so right, man, because the, uh, we're alive a long time. You know, and, and the, the brand goes around a long time and the way I'll never forget how many times like agents would be total jerks to us in transactions. And then six months later, we would have another house we're selling and they're coming back and they're, they're so short-sighted in the way that a lot of real estate can be done where it's like, you weren't thinking that when you cussed us out a couple months ago, it was going to, now it's hurting your client. Now it's yeah. literally hurting your current client because- but- if your offer is the same, we're choosing the agent we like better because you've ruined it. Like the, yeah, you have some example. You have an example. Oh, I, I've, I've, I could, yeah. I mean, I obviously never want to name names. I have so many, so many interaction situations um, where that happens and, and agents just don't even, they don't, have the, they don't have the basic courtesy. This is actually one, I guess, when I'm on the buying side, but I was working a transaction with one of my agents um, here and we put in an offer. And it's just the little things. I think it's just the way people conduct themselves. They forget that they can be on the other side sometimes. So obviously, if you're listing a property in a hot market, um, things tend to be maybe a little bit easier than on the buy side. We submitted an offer on this property, um, and the, the the agent never really got back to us. They don't think they even acknowledged, actually, that we sent an offer over. They marked the house as pending within, I think, like a 24-hour period after receiving what they said were multiple offers. And the worst part was, the uh, the client found out because they kind of they're on the safe search deal and it lets them know when something goes pending. So here they have they submitted an offer and um, they find out that their offer wasn't accepted because that happened, not because we got a chance to tell them. And I don't know it's a really small thing, but you talk about kind of like longevity and whatnot. You don't forget those things, and it's just nice to have an agent reach out and say, hey, even if they're not going to counter offer you, they're going to say, hey, um, it didn't get accepted for whatever reason. Um, because reputation is huge, and and that kind of gives leaves a bad taste in your mouth, taste in your mouth when you go to deal with that agent again. It kind of makes you second guess how things are going to happen. So whenever I list a property, for that reason, having gone through that several times before, I'll always reach out to every single uh, agent that, that submitted an offer into their client, even if we didn't send them a counter offer. And before I mark it as pending in our MLS, I will send them an email at a minimum that says thank you so much for submitting the offer, being grateful for it, uh, and saying that, you know seller went another direction as long as they allow me to disclose those reasons why I will because I think it's good to kind of help the other side and let them know why their offer wasn't strong and I like to think that you know we talk about the long term um, I like to think that helps my reputation because people are like, oh Elliot's a, at least a half decent dude he at least lets us know the reason why and that seems like a really small thing Aaron that's like a tiny little thing I feel like but it seems to have gone well for us because we don't see it very often on the other side because people aren't thinking let's at least give common courtesy to the other side um, because of, oh we're the, we're the listing agent we're good we'll be fine like, we've got all the good stuff they want it but the tables could turn at any given moment and, and I think people need to think about the long term for sure 
Yeah, that's great advice. The tables can turn at any time. I've learned that the hard way so many times in my careers of thinking, hey, this is the way it is and it's going to be like this forever. And sometimes we can get caught up in that and realizing that the person having the listing right now can be the buyer later. It's a relationship game and there's a lot of people wanting to become agents and distinguishing yourself as different makes a big, is a big deal. And or that whole idea of that early lead, right? Nurturing a lead a little bit softer, knowing that you can be patient. This is almost like we said, like the, the four, that, that person from the Facebook ad might be hiring you for something a year from now you know, if done right, like they get added to the, now they're in the, the, in the sphere, they go from there to in the sphere. And then we know that is the long game as it pushes through. But I think, I think that's really, really great advice. The, um, are a lot of people moving to Boise The yeah. uh, from the, with the pandemic and the craziness and I, Idaho is one of the lands of the free. I think I told you that during August, 2020, we got in an RV, we went all over the place and Idaho was the first place my kids got to go to an arcade. And they were like, yeah, my little, my son was four at the time. I was in the arcade with him till like midnight because he couldn't believe that now he could like be touching things and having fun. Like Idaho is, has been a place like, I'm sure attracting a lot of attention. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Idaho is one of the least, one of the least regulated uh, states um, in America to my understanding, especially for business owners, which is huge given what's happening in, in other parts of the world. And I think it would definitely be ignorant to not believe that there's a lot of political reasons. And, 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 you know, this is obviously a grown up podcast, Idaho is more of a, um, definitely more of a conservative state. Um, and that has led to a lot more things being open. And there's a lot of people, um, you know, in, in Washington, California, Oregon, places on the West Coast have been a lot more strict and, and have, you know, democratic leadership. Um, and a lot of people that, you know, don't believe that way have decided that, you know, Idaho is kind of the place they'd like to explore because it allows them to do things that align better with their beliefs. Um, and, and it's really weird because I, I'm not even an American citizen. I can't even vote. Um, so I always, I always use that as a preface so people understand I don't really have an affiliation. But I am grateful that things are the way they are in Idaho, at least right now when it comes to that stuff, because I know that it definitely helped. We're having Californians move up here in Madros, and my business wouldn't be as successful, I don't think, if we didn't have that influx of people. So, yeah, we're seeing people move up here all the time. Um, and that a lot of them really are shocked. One of the things they say about Boise in particular, I'm going to plug Boise here a little bit, is how clean it is. So I guess I've just taken it for granted, but I've had a lot of clients um, from San Francisco and from Los Angeles. And, and, and these, you know, I, I've read the headlines in the news about the homelessness and, and how things with the streets are kind of a mess and stuff. And I kind of let it kind of roll off my back. I'm like, oh, it can't be that bad. And I'm hearing the stories and, and people are coming here and they're, they're genuinely shocked. They're like, well, there's no homeless people here and your streets are clean. And to me, it's like, again, it's a small thing. I'm like, well, isn't that how it is everywhere? And, and I guess not. So people love Idaho because it doesn't seem to have a lot of the negatives. It's not, not everything's great. I understand that, but it seems to not have a lot of the negatives that people are dealing with in some of these bigger cities, I think. Yeah. I mean, there are different things that are making people move all over the place, but I have seen an, an, uh, the stats are an influx of people to Idaho for reasons just like that. We saw an influx of people to Texas over the past couple of years. And, and, the, and some, some people do the opposite. I have a friend that moved to Hawaii because he appreciated the restrictions. He wanted to go somewhere where he was like, I'm not going to you know, I'm gonna get there. I'm not going to have to worry about the stuff ever again as we see it. But I, uh, we loved going to Idaho. It was fun out there. The, uh, Elliot, this was fun. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see you in a month, hopefully. But the yeah. people that want to reach out to you, they want to send you some Boise referrals. They want to hear more about your business or understand, you know, get some ideas. What's the best place people can reach out to you? 
I always say Instagram. I'm, I'm trying to hold off on the TikTok for right now because I'm uh, I'm thinking I'm older than <laughs> older than the demographic, but Instagram's away. So Elliot Hoyt, Elliot underscore Hoyt. So that's E L L I O T underscore H O Y T E. Give me a follow and, and send me a message if you got anything out of that or this podcast, or if you have any questions or you want to connect or have referrals. Always looking for referral partners, and Instagram's the main way you can you can kind of keep up with me there. So I'd love to hear from you, other listeners. You know. Yeah, it's a great way to stay top of mind for referrals, especially. I had a couple of people reach out to me recently of just going, hey, I've got a friend moving to Texas. So, you know, where can, what's the agent I can refer them to over there? And then I'm, then I'm looking on my social media feed to see who do I know in that town that's doing that business as we get there. And if you guys are fans of shoes, <laughs> like shoes, if you like Jordans, you're going to definitely want to, or, or awesome cars, the, uh, you're going to want to follow Elliot because he has one of the best Jordan shoe collections I've seen and the, and that's probably being small minded. There's a lot more shoes that, that he has out there that he shares. And then I even started looking into a bunch of custom defenders after seeing some of the stuff. Oh, you, you saw that stuff. Yeah. I, I, don't ha- I actually got the, so the Audi R8 and the Porsche GT3 RS, I don't have those anymore. Um, I kind of minimized some of the headaches in my life and I got rid of those guys. So now I just have the Land Rover defenders in 1991. So it's actually older than me. And I just got a, a 1983 classic mini. And yes, I do fit in it barely. But yeah, I kind of went, went the classic route for a little bit here, you know? Yeah, those things are, are so much fun. So, well, Elliot, I always like chatting to you. The uh, Thanks for coming on and providing value. As always, congratulations on your new brokerage. Very cool stuff. And Real Estate Rockstars, thanks for listening. All right, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents, and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, We've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate, how to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our real estate rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.